0: Hello, it's Tuesday, the 27th of December, and welcome to another edition of Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon jang The Yoon administration has granted special pardons for former President Im Myung-bak and the former South Gyeongsang Province Governor Kim Kyung-soo. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly five north korean drones entered south korean airspace on monday but the south korean military's failure to shoot them down has raised alarms we'll discuss further with a military expert for our in-depth today and then coming up for touch basins hole we speak to patricia lee the first asian american to sit on the nevada supreme court to learn more about her inspirational story let's begin korea 24 The government has granted special pardons for the second time under the UN administration. On that list, high-profile politicians from both sides of the aisle, including former President Im Myung-bak and former South Gyeongsang Province Governor Kim Kyung-soo. For more on this story and our other headlines of the day, I'm joined in the studio by KBS World Radio News Editor Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. Hey Jiang, good to be here with you again. So lawmakers have been at loggerheads over some of the names that made the cut. And in one instance, complaints about a politician that's being released from jail, but won't be able to jump back into his arena anytime soon. Right. This
1: comes ahead of the new year. 1,373 names, including some high profile figures. So part of the criteria are those who were excluded from the Liberation Day pardons back then. It was mostly focusing on Business figures and excluding politicians, and this time instead, many business tycoons are omitted. The goal is to boost national unity and give public officials a chance to come back to work and contribute to national development. The pardons were carefully decided by gathering opinions from various circles, and former President Yimmyong Bak, 17 years prison sentence for corruption, was suspended rather due to health reasons, and the pardon cancels the remaining 15 years as well as 8.2 billion won in unpaid fines out of 13 billion. Former South Gyeongsang Province Governor Kim Kyung-soo, a close aide of former President Moon Jae-in, pardoned but without reinstatement. And he can't run for office until 2027, apparently. He was serving a two-year prison term for online opinion rigging. Others include former presidential chief of staff Kim gi chun former finance minister Choi Kyung-hwan, and former intelligence director Won Se-hun, all the officials of the Park Geun-hye administration.
0: So it has been finalized and they will be released on New Year's going back to the story now that's been making headlines since last evening we have more details on the north korean drones entering the south and raising alarms over the military's inability to shoot them down so what's the latest we have from the joint chiefs of staff daniel Well, the JCS said five North Korean drones violated South Korean
1: airspace as they crossed the military demarcation line, or the MDL, on Monday. The first one was detected north of the MDL near Kimpo at around 10.25 a.m., traversed the neutral waters of the Han River between Kimpo and Paju before traveling into northern Seoul. It's estimated to have stayed within South Korean airspace for three hours. The military lost track of the other four drones after they moved westward from Kanwa County, likely a diversion attempt. Once detected, the military broadcast warnings and fire warning shots. And when the drones appeared west of Kyodong Island, a less densely populated region, around 100 live, live rounds were fired there, but uh, they couldn't neutralize the targets. So this is one particular part of the story that's been making headlines. Uh, Seoul's military deployed both manned and unmanned recon assets near the MVL into the north at a distance equivalent to that traveled by the regime's drones. Filming me, Major military facilities and carrying
0: out what they're designed to do, recon activities. Staying with the drone intrusion, President Yoon sung emphasised the need for the military to step up readiness posture and training, possibly highlighting that they have been insufficient over the years. That's right.
1: At a cabinet meeting, Yoon said that as drone-related training has been non-existent since 2017, that's something we should focus on. The public will now see the danger of devising North Korea policies solely dependent on Pyongyang's goodwill and inter-Korean agreements. So some would see this as a jab at the previous administration. Reportedly, plans to create a drone unit to monitor key North Korean military facilities have been in the works. With this drone incident, this plan will likely be pushed up We'll get some traction there. The president called for bolstering recon capabilities, incorporating advanced stealth tech. The budget on responding to such provocations was halved. So the president vowed to persuade parliament to change that and alleviate public jitters
0: by doing so, putting more funds into such projects. Yes, and speaking of providing citizens with a peace of mind, the South Korean military uh, must have been under immense pressure following the intrusion. What are some of the announcements being made at the moment? Well, the
1: JCS pledged to strengthen surveillance and readiness posture. There are plans to inspect the combat readiness of the military unit that carried out the response operations. And a major complaint was that residents were not notified even as a drone flew near a residential area in plain sight. The JCS acknowledged this shortcoming, but they denied some media reports claiming a drone flew close to Yongsan, where the presidential office is located. Regarding the inability to accurately track and subdue a single drone, the JCS provided some explanations that it's difficult because these uh, North Korean drones, they're a bit of a rarity, three meters long, and the Marine Corps also conducted search and recon for two hours on Tuesday morning near Kimpo in Kangwa Island. So yeah, all efforts are being made to try and uh, get
0: to the bottom of the situation and provide more needed details to the South Korean people. Right. The JCS also apologized for failing to shoot down uh, the drones that crossed the border. They also did uh, provide more details to get the public up to speed with some of the challenges experienced while responding to the provocation and measures moving forward. Yeah, Kang
1: Xinche, the head of the JCS Operation Headquarters, issued a statement on Tuesday. Of course, an apology was in order, and he explained the military detected and tracked them, but failed to bring them down and expressed regret over the shortcomings as well. The official said the attack drone posed a practical threat to the South and can be dealt with by South Korea's spy and strike assets. The five drones, however, are only three meters in length, so they could not be dealt with using current detection and strike capability, so adjustments are needed there. He acknowledged the lack of preparedness that caused public concerns. The official promised to meticulously check on the current conditions of its detection and strike assets and make adjustments and aggressively maneuver them next time similar provocations occur that will be better prepared next time. The military will continue to strengthen related capability And of course, they will be focusing on creation of a drone unit now, better, more, stronger than ever before. And securing stealth UAVs, those are just part of the efforts to be made from here on.
0: Yes, we'll talk more about this incident and whether more could have been done by the South Korean military for our in-depth today. That's coming up after this news briefing. Turning to the latest developments in the Itaewan crowd crush investigations, the Seoul Western District Court issued an arrest warrant for Yongsan District Office head Pak young for failing to promptly respond to the deadly tragedy. Can you tell us more? Yeah, the warrant was issued a money on charges of professional negligence resulting in death or
1: injury. Park is accused of failing to draw proper crowd control measures and failing to promptly respond to the deadly accident. A special police unit investing in the case accused a Yongsan district chief of attempting to destroy evidence by replacing our phones. The court also issued an arrest warrant for Chewanjun, Wan-jun, a manager-level official handling residents' safety and addressing disasters. Che is charged with professional negligence, resulting in death and dereliction of duties. He apparently learned of the crush while out drinking and went home instead of
0: heading straight to the accident site. In other news, Lee Sun, a survivor of Japan's wartime sexual slavery, passed away on Monday at the age of 94. Another reminder that time is running out for Japan to acknowledge wartime atrocities, issue a formal apology and show efforts... In trying to soothe the wounds of those impacted, that's right, Jango. Oh. According to the House of Sharing, a facility in Kwangju where Yi
1: lived, she died at 9:44 p.m. at a hospital in Pundang. Her passing brings the number of living survivors of Japan's wartime sex crimes to 10 out of 240 identified by the government. So they're probably more out there in terms of the victims of the war crimes born in Daegu Yi was taken to a brothel in Manchuria when she was just 16 she was forced to serve Japanese troops there until she returned home after Korea finally gained independence from Japan she started living in the house of sharing on and off from 2014 and then settled there permanently in 2018 in 2013 she filed a lawsuit with 12 other victims seeking damages from Tokyo and won the first trial early last year The court ordered Japan to pay 100 million won to each plaintiff. Gender Equality and Family Minister Kim Hyun-suk also expressed condolences, noting that Yi wanted the wartime issue to be resolved more than anyone else. She was very actively involved in such efforts. And uh, the minister promised to exert continued efforts to restore the honor and dignity of the victims and the survivors.
0: And finally, the World Cup may be over, but there are more stories related to the spectacular sporting event pouring in. One Taekwondo warrior that recently made headlines is Hwang Yi Chan, who scored the winning goal against Portugal, of course. Can you tell us more? Yeah, FIFA announced its list of seven moments
1: to remember at the World Cup just seven, and Korea made the cut. We have a South Korean footballer for, who made a Kodak finish that made the cut. Hwang Yi Chan is his name, a late winner over Portugal that took South Korea to the Sweet 16 or the knockout stage in the World Cup for the first time in 12 years. The football governing body detailed the moment on its website. South Korea's 2-1 come-from-behind victory over Portugal in their third and final Group H match. Two stars actually made this moment possible. The site described it like this. Captain Son heung min slid through Hwang to score a dramatic added time winner. Um, That's South Korea defied all the odds to qualify by the slimmest of margins. We'll wrap it up there for our news briefing. Thank you for those updates. Thank you for having me. I'll talk to you again next week.
0: Five North Korean drones crossed the inter-Korean border and violated South Korean airspace on Monday. They reportedly flew across the military demarcation line and were spotted flying over Kimpo, Kangwa Island, and Paju City in Gyeonggi Province. And one traveled as far as the northern regions of Seoul before returning to the north. The South Korean military scrambled fighter planes and attack helicopters in response but were unable to shoot them down, sparking criticism about the military's defence capability. To get some expert analysis on the drone infiltrations, we have joining us on the line today retired Lieutenant General chun Nimbam from the South Korean Army. General Chun, thank you for speaking to us today.
2: Thank you for your invitation.
0: So first, can you tell us what we know about North Korean drones? What kind of drones do they use and how advanced are they?
2: Well, they're not very advanced uh, drones. They seem seem to be very uh, fundamental in their design. But it is a very serious uh, military capability that uh, nations like North Korea have. The estimate is that they have somewhere between 300 and 1,000 of these things, but I believe they have more than 1,000 of them. Uh, North Korea has always shown that they've had an interest in these kind of niche capabilities. These drones are used for recon and attack, and uh, yesterday's uh, provocation was a recon mission for the North Koreans. Uh, Yesterday, in the morning hours, uh, we first detected these uh, drones, and it lasted until about six o'clock in the uh, PM. Five drones were identified, as you mentioned, and it turned out to be a recon uh, mission.
0: Right, so these seem to be far less advanced than the drones that perhaps the uh, US military use. They're very small, light and primitive aircrafts. The uh, drones that were discovered in 2014 had uh, Canon or Nikon DSLR cameras attached to them. But General, what kind of threats do these drones pose? How threatening could they potentially be? You said uh, the ones that we saw were recon uh, on monday but you said there were uh, there can be attack drones as well
2: yes so as a whole drones and unmanned vehicles is a threat but the provocation that we saw yesterday turned out to be a recon mission and you have to uh, think that they were basically taking some you know uh, basic photos of the south now it's not as threatening as a, a drone armed with explosives or uh, suicide drones but then again it's just a recon aircraft having said that the real danger is unintentional uh things that might happen what if one of those things had a recon drone had crashed and killed you know south korean citizens or damaged the building and caused a fire so what the North Koreans are doing, whether it's uh, with an intent to uh, attack with an explosive or not, is very dangerous because it could have you know, malfunctioned. It could have crashed into another aircraft and caused a lot of trouble and uh, life-threatening situations to the South Korean population.
0: Right. So they can be weaponized, but even if they're not, just their presence uh, can threaten uh, people's safety here in South Korea. Uh, you said uh, that uh, the drones that we saw uh, on Monday were recon drones. But uh, what do you think their mission might have been? One source has raised the possibility that the drone managed to fly near the Yongsan district and take, possibly take photos of the new presidential office before heading back to uh, North Korea. Yeah, it seems to me they were
2: testing our response time and what kind of procedures we used, what kind of capabilities that we had. And it turned out that our capabilities were very lacking. Uh, And it turned out that it's very embarrassing for the UN government that we were uh, unable to uh, respond uh, effectively against this kind of uh, activity by the North Koreans. But again, this is a very uh, dangerous action that the North Koreans have uh, conducted, and this is very uh, concerning.
0: Uh, There are some experts who say that this is perhaps just a form of saber rattling that the North were uh, perhaps not looking to obtain useful information, but it was more about sending a message to the South. Uh, this incident follows uh, North Korea uh, aggressively stepping up her missile tests this year. There have been 38 uh, ballistic missile tests and three cruise missile tests this year. Uh, but what do you make of such analysis that this was perhaps a, more of a message to South Korea?
2: Yes, it is a message to South Korea, and it's a very dangerous message because this isn't just uh, a missile that they're testing or they're firing into the East or West Sea. This is a uh, military system that they sent across our borders, and whatever the intent was— turned out to be recon. But again, I stress the fact that it could have malfunctioned as it has done before in 2014 and 2017 and crashed into uh, Korean civilian facilities leading to Korean fatalities. Not to mention, it could have crashed into an airliner. And so uh, this is a very dangerous act that the North Koreans have conducted. So Uh, compared to the 38 missile launches, this is, to me, a very serious direct provocation by North Korea, and they should stop immediately.
0: Mm. And finally, just on the drones themselves, uh, on the technical aspects, what do we know about whether they if they were might have been uh, pre-programmed on a pre-programmed route or whether there was direct uh, remote control from the north at the time?
2: Well, it seems now, uh, looking back at yesterday's incident, it was a pre-programmed uh, drone or UAV activity. Uh, but again, it caused a serious uh, provocation to the Korean society. It's raised a lot of uh, eyebrows, and uh, it it just focused on the fact that it's very hard to shoot down these... Uh, drones, and not to mention, even if we did shoot them down, we need to think about the collateral damage that will occur from the crashing drone as well as the many rounds of ammunition that we fire because uh, the, we're going to be having to shoot thousands of rounds and a lot of them will come back down to earth and hit civilian homes and uh, schools and other facilities. So it's going to be a very big challenge.
0: Right. let's talk more about the response from the South Korean military now. Fighter planes and attack helicopters were launched, and the attack helicopters reportedly fired around 100 rounds but failed to uh, shoot them down, the drones down. Uh, The JCS did note that it held back to avoid any potential harm to South Korean civilians, as you said. But still, why did they fail to stop them? You said it was difficult to shoot them down. Can you explain a bit more?
2: First, detecting the drones is very difficult. Um, And people have to imagine what it must be like to, a a radar signal will not tell you exactly where that drone is. Maybe it'll get you to a mile or two miles to the drone itself. Hmm. The drone is two to three meters big. Can you imagine trying to locate something like that in, in the skies? It's nearly impossible. So detecting and finding the drone in flight is really difficult. And then being able to shoot it, even despite the fact that it's not very fast, is also very challenging. So it's not impossible, but shooting down the drone with uh, conventional kinetic weaponry is not going to be easy. Other options that are being used is uh, electronic warfare um jamming and so forth and again we're faced with the fact that the drone will crash into something so just recently in the ukraine the russians were successful in downing a ukrainian drone with electronic warfare but the drone crashed into a russian unit killing five of their soldiers so this is exactly the kind of collateral damage that we will be facing now the only military solution to this is, is that we know we, we can, it's very difficult to detect the drone, it's very difficult to shoot down a drone, but we know where it's going to be launched. If the North Koreans cause a fatality in South Korea, then a the logical military solution is to destroy the base from which it was launched. This is a really big step and a very dangerous step to the peace on the Korean Peninsula. This is why North Korea must stop their uh, provocation. Because if the, if their drone crashes into our facilities and kills our people, even kills a South Korean dog, you know the South Koreans will be firing thousands of rounds into their own bases. So they need to stop immediately.
0: Right. So as a military expert, uh, you're saying you empathize with uh, the South Korean military's. Uh, Uh, how they're perhaps limited in the fact that uh, they have to consider many things, for example, uh, the potential collateral damage it could do to South Korea. Uh, As I said at the beginning, there has been some concerns that perhaps uh, that this showed that there's a serious hole in our military's uh, readiness posture. Uh, But what do you think are on on those thoughts there, that perhaps uh, there are concerns?
2: This is not a military decision. This is a national decision. The Korean people, the Korean uh, commander-in-chief of its forces, has to decide. Okay, we, we're going to shoot down the drone, uh, whether it causes collateral damage or not. Fine, you know. Uh, if that decision is made, the Korean, the South Korean military, is more than capable of shooting down these um, drones and UAVs. It's a matter of who's going to take responsibility for the collateral damage that will occur so that's uh that's that's not a military decision that 's a national decision, so I think we should stop putting all the responsibility on the military and mm. just tell the military to do do their job to the shoot down despite the collateral damage fine if it's not uh, then you know we have we have to live with the consequences
0: I see. Uh, I understand that the drone that reached northern Seoul was spotted returning to North Korea, but the other four vanished from South the South Korea's radar, so they were eventually unaccounted for. Is that concerning at all, that uh, we couldn't keep track of them? But you did say it was uh, very difficult to keep track of them earlier.
2: Yep, so that's just the reality of drone operations. So, uh, you know, whether it's North Korean drones or whose drones it may be, the fact of the matter is it's very difficult to detect them and shoot them down. So the only logical exp- the conclusion is destroy where they were launched. So North Korea really needs to understand that if their drones, whether intentionally or unintentionally, uh, causes uh, fatal damage to South Koreans, the logical military response is to destroy their bases yeah. and you know, we all know what that means.
0: President Yun sang yeol today said that this incident showed that the relevant training had been lacking over the years and that the readiness and training needs to be strengthened. Uh, is this due to a lack of training?
2: Yes. Uh, lack of training, lack of equipment. Uh, I don't want to blame people, but we are all responsible for this uh, situation that we have. Uh, it's, it's very difficult, As again, I'm saying to detect and destroy and shoot down these things, but it's not impossible. Uh, we're going to have to make a, a, a rational decision, a, a calculated decision about, okay, these are the costs and benefits. Are we willing to uh, put the cost of not only training, but buying the equipment, um, training the troops, uh, and again the issue of collateral damage because the North Koreans have an upper hand in this.
0: Okay, so how do we improve the training? What can be done to improve uh, South Korea's readiness against uh, North Korean drones?
2: So again, there are many ways to uh, shoot down these things. Electronic warfare, uh, jamming and kinetic uh, strikes of um, of these drones. So we need to develop buy more electronic warfare equipment, radars, uh jamming equipment, jamming software, uh maybe new types of ammunition that are more uh capable of shooting down a slow speed uh small target like a drone and uh we need to train on shooting down these things uh in the air and it's going to uh it's going to be challenging so again and we need to send a message to North Korea that if their drones causes fatalities in South Korea it'll be an active war and uh, North Korea should realize you know that if they make an excuse oh we were only going to try to t- take photos it's not going to be enough to stop uh, an escalation
0: Well, this incident has posed a lot of serious questions of the uh, South Korean military. Hopefully lessons have been learned and we'll see how uh, perhaps the military responds, if there are indeed future incidents like this as well. We'll wrap it up there. We've been speaking to the retired Lieutenant General Chun Inbum of the South Korean Army. General Chun, thank you for your time today. Thank you. And for now, let's not worry.
1: Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 15.65 points, or 0.68% on Tuesday, closing the day at 2,332.79. The tech-heavy KOSDAQ also rose, gaining 9.51 points, or 1.37%, to close the day at 704.19. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 3.41 against the dollar, Ending the day at 1,271.41. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr.
0: We continue on now to Korea trending, our daily segment, rounding up some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have Diane Yu to bring us those stories. Diane, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Jamo. It's good to see you. OK, let's head straight into our stories today. What do you have for us first?
3: Che Se-won, formerly known as Choi soon has been temporarily released after six years of serving her time in prison as the prosecution decided to suspend the execution of her sentence. Choi left Chongju woman's prison in a wheelchair at around 9.30pm last night, got into a car waiting outside the prison and left.
0: Yes, uh, Choi Se-won, a.k.a. Choi soon will mm-hmm. the notorious Close confidant of uh, former President Pakane. I believe the temporary release is Mm -hmm. health related. But before we get into that, can you remind our listeners why Che is in prison in the first place?
3: Right. Che was arrested in November 2016 on charges of abuse of authority, obstruction of duty, and bribery during the Pakane administration. The woman in her 60s was a longtime friend of the former president and exploited her ties by forcing business conglomerates to pay a total of around 77 billion Korean won to nonprofit foundations that she was in charge of. That's around 60 million U.S. dollars. Despite having no official position in the government, Choi also allegedly gained access to confidential government uh, government files. In addition to a three-year sentence for college admission fraud for using gifts to try and get her daughter into an elite university, she has been serving an 18-year prison term at Cheongjil Women's Prison for the charges I mentioned previously.
0: Yes, so what was the reason for her temporary release now?
3: So on the 19th, China applied for the suspension of execution, saying that she needed spinal surgery. This falls under the Criminal Procedure Act. An application can be filed when there is a concern about deteriorating health while the individual is serving their sentence. And this was not the first time that she requested the uh, suspension, right? That's right. Since her imprisonment, she has requested the prosecutor to suspend her sentence execution four times, but none were accepted. The acceptance came after the Changzhou District Prosecutor's Office held a sentence execution review committee yesterday on the 26th and decided to suspend the execution of Choi's sentence for one month. So Cha will be able to get treatment for her back at a hospital in Seoul until the 25th of next month.
0: Okay, so she will be temporarily released for one month. Mm -hmm. Let's move swiftly on to the second story of the day. What do you have for us next?
3: The Seoul Metropolitan Government will conduct a survey on people's preferences for its new slogan that will replace the previous slogan, I Seoul You. Since last August, the city has selected four candidates that symbolise the capital. They are Seoul For You, Amazing Seoul... Soul, my soul, and make it happen. Soul. Uh, the four were chosen through a public poll and a collection of opinions from citizens. From tomorrow to the 31st of next month, a preference survey will be conducted online and offline. And from the results, the final slogan will be selected.
0: Yes, so the grammatically controversial slogan, I soul you, is one step closer to reaching its end then. Yes. Uh, So tell us more about these four new slogan candidates and the thinking behind
3: them. Mm -hmm. Soul for you contains the philosophy that the city will accompany everyone, including minorities. It means soul where everything is prepared for you. Uh, And second, amazing soul is a slogan that captures the Amazing images of the <laughs> capital, which include the city being the center of tradition, culture, and art, and full of ex- uh, exciting spaces hosting a lively and cheerful atmosphere. And Seoul, my soul, was based on the fact that the pronunciation of Seoul and soul are the same. Mm. It represents a city that can fill everyone's soul with warmth and passion. And lastly, make it happen Seoul shows the potential of the capital, a city that makes everything possible, a dynamic city that will make your dreams come true.
0: Yes, some interesting candidates there. How can people participate in the poll and give their two cents?
3: Anyone in Korea or abroad can participate. Online participation can be done through the websites mvoting.seoul.go.kr and english.seoul.go.kr. Citizens can also participate offline at multiple locations across the capital, such as major downtown stations, Seoul Plaza, Gwangamun Square, and the lobby of Seoul City Hall. When the slogan is finally selected, separate design work will be carried out. The city government will announce the results in February 2023 based on the preference survey and express reviews.
0: Right, those surveys open tomorrow, so get your opinions in then. Right. Now, our last story of the day, what do you have for us?
3: Two South Korean soccer coaches will go head-to-head at the so-called World Cup South in Southeast Asia. Uh, on the 27th of December at 7.30 p.m. local time, Vietnam, led by coach Park Hang-seo, will face off against Kim Pang-gong's Malaysia in the Asian Football Federation Mitsubishi Electric Cup. The game will be held at Midden Stadium in Hanoi, Vietnam. Also known as the AFF Championship, it's the most prestigious biannual tournament in Southeast Asia, hence it being called Southeast Asia's World Cup. Mm. To go over the results so far, Vietnam had a good start to the group stage with a 6-0 win over Laos. Malaysia also started strong, beating Myanmar 1-0 and Laos 5-0. Currently, Malaysia is top of Group B with six points and Vietnam ranks second ahead of Singapore with three points.
0: Yes, and as well as having two Korean coaches go against each other, there is another reason why this game is particularly interesting,
3: right? Right, there is. This game will be the last stand for Coach Park and a debut stage for Coach Kim. Park is looking to win the championship for the last time with Vietnam before stepping down as coach. They previously won the tournament in 2018, but in 2020, they lost to Thailand, were, were eliminated in the semifinals. Meanwhile, this is uh, Coach Kim's first tournament as head coach of Malaysia. So far, his team has been going strong without losing any points, as he made the Southeast country a team with quick and methodical attacking traditions.
0: Right, so a good start from Kim but history is against him when you consider that uh, Coach Park's team has had an undefeated streak against Malaysia in the past five years.
3: Right, Vietnam is a strong team against Malaysia for sure. However, Coach Park said those winning numbers are quote-unquote meaningless and just numbers which will not guarantee a win for Vietnam Uh, and Park added that quote, all I can say is that my goal is to trust my players and do my best to win against Malaysia, end quote. And Coach Kim Kim also showed his strong will to win, saying that, quote, Vietnam's previous achievements are fantastic and I respect them. But we've played a lot of games and we are going to win here and keep the lead, end quote.
0: Right. Some, some fighting words from Kim. We'll see how they right. fare in just a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. That's all we have time for on today's career Trending. Thank you for those stories, Diane. And we'll see you next time.
3: Thanks, John. We'll see you then.
0: This week's touch basins hole we're joined by the first african-american woman and the first asian american to serve on the nevada supreme court born in south korea but raised mainly in the us our guest joins us now tell us more about how she overcame difficulties during her childhood to eventually build a successful law career and now end up on the supreme court in nevada justice patricia lee joins us now via video call Hello, and thank you for being on the show today.
4: Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor.
0: Yes, it's an honor to have you on, Justice E. Uh, We have to start with the fact that on the 21st of November, it was announced that you were appointed to serve on the Nevada Supreme Court. How did it feel when you heard the news? It must have been very exciting.
4: Oh, absolutely. It was um, exhilarating, overwhelming, and the really... uh, The the part that I'm most um, grateful for is that my daughter was in the car with me. I was picking her up from wrestling practice because she decided to do wrestling. (laughs) And uh, she was in the car with me when Governor Sisolak called me and uh, told me that I got the appointment. So she got to hear in real time my 14-year-old daughter. She's a teenager, so of course, she's texting everybody. She texts my husband. She texts my son. She texts our neighbor. (laughs) She was texting everybody. So by the time I got off of the call, uh, several people knew uh, that I had gotten the appointment. So it was really just a surreal moment. um
0: We'll come back to that amazing achievement and uh, more about what it means to you a bit later. But first, I did want to talk about your personal story first, because it is quite remarkable what you've achieved, despite a very difficult upbringing. You were born in Chonju, North Chola Province in Korea uh, before, being, before moving to the United States with your family at the age of four. Do you have much memory of your time in Korea when you grew up back then?
4: Um, not really. Um, I have a lot of photographs um, and my mom told me a bunch of stories, uh, but I don't have a very vivid memory of those times in Korea. Um, So I've had to uh, recreate kind of those memories through photographs, through um, historical recounts of our time there. Um, My regret is that I didn't, um, you know, I wasn't able to uh, be there more. I would have loved to have known my, my my harmony more. I would have love to have uh you know spent a lot more time there but that that the circumstances weren't uh such that that happened but so unfortunately no i don't have a vivid memory of that but i have a lot of stories and photos
0: sure okay so it sounds like uh, you still uh had connections to your roots uh, even though you grew up in the u.s uh so you had a a black US military father and a Korean mother. And in your application for the Supreme Court uh, justice, you talked about how your father developed an alcohol dependence issue and he left the family. Your mother and you, along with your two brothers, were also homeless for a time after that as well. And then you also left home in your teens because of abuse from your mother's then partner. You do say that the struggles you had to go through made you stronger in the end, but it must have been just incredibly difficult to grow up in that environment.
4: Uh, yeah, it was. And, you know, my story is not unique. There's uh, hundreds of thousands of youth that are going through exactly what I went through. Um, and I think you can probably um, take two different roads when you are subjected to that type of um, abuse and those type of struggles. Um, you either become fortified and become stronger because of it, or you succumb to it. Um, and because of the incredible support that I've had from many people in my life um, who helped me along the way stay on the right path, um, I, cho- I chose the path of fortification. And so when you are the victim of abuse, um, you can consciously make the decision that you're not going to allow your abuser to continue to abuse you for the rest of your life. You're not going to be a victim to that person there and you will rise above it. You will become stronger despite this. It wasn't easy. (laughs) It wasn't a piece of cake, Uh, but it was something that, um, you know, with the help of many people, I was able to overcome um, kind of those adversities and um, succeed despite uh, my background. And I think a lot of the things that I went through actually made me stronger Mm. and made me, uh, more resilient. Um, and so my message to anybody who's ever had to suffer at the hands of another person is that take that and don't let that person control the rest of your life. Don't give them that power. Succeed, do it. You can do it. And, um, and, and take that pain and that, um, Fear and turn it into something positive.
0: Mm. I'm curious, who are some of those people uh, who did help you along the way that you mentioned?
4: Oh oh gosh, there's so many. Uh, This program is not long enough for me to mention everyone, (laughs) but I was was part of a program, a social program here in the United States. It was called the Upward Bound Program. They still have it. And it was a program designed for underprivileged children who had never, uh, whose parents had never been to college, um, and you had to meet some economic threshold. You had to pretty much be below the poverty level. Um, And they would go into this program. um, And every summer, we would go to college here in California, and we would stay on campus for the summer. A sorority would donate their sorority house, and we would take the classes that we were going to take the next year during the summer. So they were setting you up for success. You had primer courses. Um, your first period in school was all tutoring. If you were struggling in math and English or any other subjects, they had tutors on hand every single day. Mm. Um, they took us on college tours. We got to go up and down the California uh, you know, coast and, and beyond um, to visit different colleges. They paid for your college application fee which 100 years ago when I went to college, it was $65 per application, which seemed insurmountable, uh, uh, an incredible amount of money. And they would give you those fee waivers so that you could apply to college. They would help you with your college essays. Um, And they really just changed your mindset in terms of going from, well, I'm not sure I could ever go to college. That's really just for rich kids or for Mm. people who don't look like me to, of course, you're going to go to college. Your only uh, decision is, which college are you going to go through, uh, go to? Um, and so the two directors that were in charge of that uh, program, there was Burkett and um, Attorney, uh, another Tony, Burnett, and uh, they were just instrumental in me changing my mindset to that I was going to college. And then in college, I had several mentors. Dr. Porter was one of them. She was the head of the uh, cultural union there. Um, when I got to law school, there was uh, Professor Susan Johnson, right. Professor uh, Mags. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then beyond in my law firm, I have several mentors and my partners um, who brought me along after they hired me. They brought me along and taught me how to be a really um, good lawyer um, with integrity um, to advocate zealously, um, to stand sure. up for what's right. So I just, I've just been really blessed. And, and by the way, how I first decided to go to college, I got, um, to law school, I took a gap year between undergrad and law school, and I was working at a place called the California Science Center, and it was right across the street from USC, mm. which is where I went to, to undergrad. And uh, they, I was working there all through college, And they hired me to work full time. And one of my main projects was to establish the Rosa Parks Computer Learning Center. So again, this was 100 years ago, 1997. (laughs) And computers weren't readily available to everyone, particularly students in the inner cities. Sure. And so this was really trying to bridge that digital divide, right? Trying to get them access to this technology. And I met Rosa Parks and I worked with Rosa Parks. Wow. And one day she looked at me and she said, so this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. You're just going to work at this museum. This is it for you. (laughs) I said, well, you know, I was thinking about going to law school. And she said, well, baby, if you want to go to law school, you go to law school. And so when Rosa Parks tells you to go to law school, you go to law school. So I uh, applied for the LSAT and and I ended up in law school. So, I've had just so many incredible, um, incredibly positive leaders and influencers in my life who really got me to the point where I am today.
0: Indeed, it sounds like you had some amazing support. I mean, Rosa Parks, that's quite something. Uh, Just to list some of your (laughs) achievements as well. Uh, Despite everything you went through, you achieved top grades in high school, received scholarships, you were school president, captain of the cheerleading team. Uh, This was all when you left home as well and you were living at your friend's place, I understand. Uh, You went to the University of Southern California and then attended the George Washington University Law School. You ended up building a successful law career, making partner in a prominent Nevada law firm. You received numerous awards as well for your pro bono work. And then in November, you were appointed to sit on the Nevada Supreme Court. What does that final achievement mean for you now, that uh, uh, being on the Nevada Supreme Court now, especially as we mentioned as uh, the first African-American woman, the first Asian-American justice?
4: Well, it is, gosh, it's overwhelming and humbling. I know that this uh, accomplishment or this achievement um, is bigger than myself. I am um, very happy, exhilarated, um, but I know that it means more than just my appointments means a lot to other people who are looking um, at maybe potentially one day also being a Nevada Supreme Court justice, um, but have not seen people who look like them on the bench. Um, And so I think representation really matters. Mm. Um, And I'm so very humbled and proud to be uh, the first, you know, to to kind of set that tone, to open that door. Uh, Justice Michael Douglas was the first African American male who was on the Supreme Court, and he held the door open for me, and I walked through that door. And I'm hoping that I can also hold that door open for the next generation of justices to come through um, to serve in this position. It's 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 the you know I, I hold this court in the highest esteem, highest court in our state, um, and, and it's important important to have a bench that reflects the population that we uh, serve. So it's a tremendous honor and I hope to uphold the position and do everybody proud and and hopefully inspire some people along the way, the way that I was inspired by those who came before me.
0: Sure. Well, your story is truly inspirational, uh, achieving so much Uh, starting with so many difficulties. Uh, Finally, then, you've talked about how, you know, you want to tell people that uh, they can do it. uh, But what lessons do you think you can share with our listeners that you've learned along the way? What final advice would you give to any listeners who are struggling to overcome difficulties that they are facing?
4: I would say that it's not how you start the race, right? So it's not how you start the race, it's how you finish the race. Um, And you have full total control of your destiny. Um, And you are entitled to your emotions and your feelings, but don't let them encumber you to the point where it cripples you. Use it as inspiration, as empowerment to do better. And always, always, always go back and help those who are coming along behind you, um, because it's so important to lift as we climb, right? As we climb, we're going back and we're lifting, we're lifting people behind us. Um, be very, very protective of your reputation. Um, it takes a lifetime to build a reputation and only a few moments to destroy it. So make good decisions and, and try to live your life in a way um, that is full of integrity um, and, and, and be, try to be a moral person. And um, and other than that, just work hard. Hard work is just, um, you can't replace it with anything. And so if you work hard and you're passionate about what you do and you're a good person and you treat other people the way that you want to be treated, um, it's a formula for success.
0: With those words, I think we can end it there. Thank you for sharing your story with us today. We've been speaking to Justice Patricia Lee on the Nevada Supreme Court. It was an honor to have you on the show today.
4: Oh, come samida! It was my honor, very much so. Thank you so much.
3: My
1: name is Son Taejin. You're now listening to Korea 24.
0: We conclude the show now with our closing segment, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald. And for that, our staff editor Richard Larkin is here with us in the studio. Richard, hello, it's good to see you. Good to see you, Django. Okay, so let's start with the first story then. Well,
5: before we go into what the article is about, did you like to use telescopes to look at stars and constellations when you were younger, Django?
0: Yes, briefly. I was actually part of the astronomy club in Ooh. school, and it was uh, where I got to see. Uh, Planets like Venus, mm. Mars, and even the rings of Saturn. So that was actually a very memorable experience for me when I was younger. What about
5: you? Well, I used to like it a lot as a child. And recently, when images of the James Webb Telescope were shown, my interest in space came back. Yes, so indeed. Really beautiful yeah, they were photos. amazing. So, for our listeners who are also interested in stars and planets, the National Palace of Museum, the National Palace Museum of Korea, has a new permanent exhibition. That's what Kim Hyeon's article in the Life and Style section of the Korea Herald is about. It's called. Scientific Achievement of the Joseon Dynasty.
0: Oh wow, okay. So I'm guessing by the name that the exhibition is about how uh, people of the Joseon era observed objects in space then? That's exactly right. The exhibition
5: has on display a collection of astronomical instruments that were used to observe the sky and mark the seasons from 1392 all the way up until 1910. The article mentions that observing the sky and marking the seasons were privileges of Joseon kings. Celestial globes were considered an emblem of royal authority and 28 constellations were even engraved on royal ceremonial swords.
0: Wow, that's actually quite fascinating. So what artifacts can be found at this
5: exhibition then? A total of 45 are on display. One of the most notable artifacts is the Chunsang Yolcha Bunya Jido. It is the second oldest remaining stone constellation chart in the world. It dates all the way back to 1395. For anyone interested in going to the exhibition, the museum is open every day from 10am to 6pm, except for Wednesdays and Saturdays. On those days, the museum closes at 9pm. OK, let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? It's about someone that has been on the show before, and that is filmmaker Eric Oh. Park article in the Entertainment and Arts section of the Korea Times explains that his short film, Metamodernity, has been invited to the Clermont-Ferrand International Short Film Festival.
0: Yes, uh, we interviewed him last year for his amazing uh, short film, Opera, which was mm. the first ever uh, Korean animated film to be nominated uh, for an Oscar. But it looks like he's uh, continuing to make great projects then.
5: Right. And it looks like Metamodernity is doing pretty well, especially at film festivals. It had its world premiere last May at the Jeonju International Film Festival, and it was invited to festivals in Germany and Switzerland. According to the article, the seven-minute animation follows an individual born out of his consciousness who begins an
0: internal journey in search of his true self. Wow, sounds uh, very deep and fascinating. (laughs) Can you tell us more about the uh, film festival as well that uh, all has been invited to uh, this time around?
5: Well, it has a very interesting story. It was launched in 1979 in central France as a student film club. Now it is one of the most acclaimed international short film festivals in the world. The upcoming festival will run from January 27th to February 4th and O's Movie will compete in the Young Audience category.
0: OK, we'll wrap it up there for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, Richard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's where we wrap up our show today. We'll be back same time tomorrow, so do join us again then for more news, views and reviews from Korea. Till then, we hope you have a great day. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye.
3: CBS World Radio strives to promptly update our listeners on safety procedures during emergency situations. The following are recommended guidelines to follow when you're driving in snowy conditions. On days with heavy snowfall, take extra caution on sloping lanes as you could easily lose control of your vehicle. On icy roads, refrain from speeding as slippery road conditions make it harder to steer or stop the wheels. Ensure you keep a wider distance with the car ahead of you as it takes longer to slow down. Drivers are also advised to use chains and other equipment to keep their tyres from slipping. If you don't have the proper equipment, spray sand or soil on the tyres and start off in second gear. When travelling to areas with extreme snowfall, make sure you check the road and traffic conditions before setting off. When stranded in heavy snow, call 119 for assistance.